Welcome back to Detroit Strange. And join us today. Yes, on this podcast, this audio journey. Yes. I don't know why I feel like I can't say the same thing all the time. It's not like it's a bad thing to do, but I'm like, I, I can't. I I almost started with Bienvenidos. Ooh, I, that's fun. Detro- Bienvenidos at Detroit Strange mm-hmm. or Strange Detroit. I don't know how you would say it. I don't know what um, order the word. If it would just still be Detroit Strange in Spanish. Or like Strong. Detroit Estranja. 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 Strange. Dade. Detroit. Detroit. De- I don't De- know. Mm. Yeah, I don't know either. No hablo español bueno. Uh, me habla español un small. Uh, pequeña. Pequeño. Yeah. Pequeño. Well, pequeña. there's also there's there's two types of small though because there's like ti- like one is tiny and one is small so I forget which is the apartment. Yeah. <gasps> there's a spider in here. Oh no! Oh no! Where'd it go? I'm sorry, I had to like shut that, but it went by my computer. It's okay. Oh my god. It looked like it wasn't a bad spider, but it's still just, I'm in a tiny closet, and I don't love that. I get that. I'll keep an eye out for it. Thank you. I'm not anti-spider, I'm just not like pro-me interacting directly, we'll say. I know they're good, they get the the annoying things, and I like that. Yeah, that's like... Me and spiders are cool because we have a mutual enemy, that yeah. enemy being bugs. And so I try not to kill the spiders. I'll try to like let them out outside or honestly sometimes mm-hmm. like you stay over there. Well, that's your corner now. That's how I am. If they're far, if they're in the corner yeah. or whatever, I'm cool. That's but but I'm in a small space right now, so I don't love yeah. it. That's that's more where I'm at. The shower is the only place where I'm like, if you're in the shower, I'm sorry. This was an off-limit zone. That was not in the contract. You cannot be in here crushed with a shampoo bottle. If they're in the ceiling part of it, I don't actually don't care. Because usually if they're if they're near the ceiling, that's kind of where they're chill. You know what I mean? Like, No, for yeah. sure. But I mean, my worry is, is like, what if it gets too steamy? They just fall. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Um, oh, God. Now I feel it all over me. And it's not... <laughs> We can change the topic so you won't think about it. We were talking about shitty flavors of Dum Dums before we started recording. Yeah. Mine being buttered popcorn is the worst flavor. It's, I've never had that one. What do you think is the best flavor of Dum Dum? Like, if there's like, you know... Mystery. You're walking out of a restaurant... Mystery? Really? Have we talked about mystery before? How it's just kind of like the weird in-between when they change over the flavors? I don't know. I just like that it's Did mystery. we talk about that? No. I don't think so. Someone, I can't remember who was telling you about this, about how the mystery flavor dum-dums are kind of like, whenever like they're changing out the flavor in the dum-dum machine, mm-hmm. they're like, basically like, when they're like, sure, like, okay, we're doing butterscotch, yeah. then we're switching to another flavor. Like, w- during that switch process, there's like kind of like these, like, there's Mixture, still like a little yeah. bit of butterscotch mm-hmm. left. Yeah. And so like, that's what all the mystery are. So it's not exactly oh. like one flavor. It's just like a, weird mixture so that's what i've heard i have literally never looked into it i don't remember who told me this i a love if that's true because they're using all of it and yeah use every part of the dumb dumb i'm into that and b it kind of makes sense and it's like a more complex flavor i have a very refined palate no i'm just kidding i'm just i'm very much kidding i do not um i am trash but i think i just like the gamble of the mystery so there's like emotional excitement added that's fair that's totally legit if i don't see the ones i like that's what i'll grab yeah i will say though if we're going for like actual flavors 
I do like like a butterscotch or like a root beer. Love a butterscotch. So, oh, yeah. Butterscotch, mm-hmm. root beer and watermelon are my like top three. Mm-hmm. I'd have to say love a cherry. too. Yeah, watermelon. I like, but I like a watermelon Jolly Rancher more than probably like a watermelon Dum Dum. So that's fair. Yeah. I feel like the watermelon Jolly Ranch is a bit more tart or something. Yeah, they're pretty. They're pretty something like a little. Yeah, a little puckery for sure. Yeah. Um, wow. This is candy talk. Uh, yes. I'm missing you. I'm missing. I'm missing you. you like candy. Like I never got to sing that at karaoke. I don't oh. think, unless I did and I forgot. Well, someday, someday. Yeah, and then I'll get up there and sing someday, someday. Yeah, someday. The one you gave away will be the only one you're wishing for. Um, <laughs> who sings that? Mariah Carey. Oh, I don't know if I've actually heard that one. Like old. Oh, you weren't born yet, but it was like her original album. And it was when I was obsessed with her. I even gave a whole speech at school about how I wanted to grow up and be just like her. And I won for my school. Um, yes. It was a contest. Uh, I also won the next year when I wanted to grow up and be like Jody Sweeten, um, who was yes. basically my age, by the way. So that was an odd thing to say. I mean, I get it, though. Like, she's your age, but also she's on full house at the time probably oh yeah 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 but yeah no i loved i loved me some early mariah carey i think it's just this i think it's a self-titled album i know it's like a black background she's in like a black slinky dress she's just got the curly hair because she still wore her hair oh, curly I can totally, yeah i could totally picture the album cover i just don't remember that specific song it was like the number one hit off of it okay <laughs> i yeah I, okay I sang it a little weird, so like that's not exactly what it sounds like. She doesn't sing that cadence, we'll say. It's just yeah. I don't have a Mariah Carey voice, so I cannot yeah. do it justice. I'll, to, I'll listen to it after the recording and see if I remember it. Uh, but yeah, no. Do you know who sings Candy, though, when I was singing? Mandy Moore. Of course. My favorite part <laughs> of that song is like, you know who you are. Uh-huh. Your love's as sweet as candy. I'll be forever yours. Love always. Mandy. Like, just out of nowhere. I was, like, almost deeply offended when you asked me if I knew who it was. Which is so funny, because I wasn't necessarily a fan of that song. Like, that was the antithesis of the music I listened to at the time. But then when she yeah. became an actor, I like Mandy Moore as an actor. So Yeah. <laughs> so then I went back and was like, now I, I have a nostalgia for her music, even though I didn't listen to it at the time. I couldn't probably name you another Mandy Moore song, but... No. That was the one I loved. It was on one of the nows, I think. Oh, that would make sense. It was. It had. It had a hot minute for sure. Yeah, I'll let the second tier pop stars because, like, mm-hmm. let's face it, she wasn't a Britney or a Christina. We have to use her last name a lot of the time. Well, yeah, and she was just a little different too, and she did break yeah. away from it pretty early on. Yeah, where like that became the secondary. Did she start a singer and became an actress? or was I think it the way she around? was already acting, maybe, but I don't know. I am not a Mandy Moore biographer. This is not a Mandy Moore podcast. Yes, but This is not a Mandy Moore podcast, I, despite how much t- airtime she's <laughs> yes, getting. But I do, I, I get the feeling for some, and my gut is telling me that she was an actor first and then like a singer secondarily and then like had a hot minute doing that and then like it kind of went back to acting and it didn't. It didn't work out too yeah. badly for her, we'll say, because she like, you know, like I'm going to lump her in in the category of like second tier pop star who went actress like her, Jessica Simpson, 
Because she had a few songs. She didn't do as gracefully, but... I'd say their tracks were different. Their music because, was similar. Yeah, but I'd actually say Jessica Simpson was more of a singer, like more of a pop star. Yeah. And less of an actor, whereas Mandy Moore hits. was definitely more of an actor and less of a pop star. Yeah. Because she was in The Walk to Remember, which like we watched mm-hmm. a health class one year, oddly enough. Interesting. I've never seen it, to be honest. It's, I, I wouldn't. I don't know. I have no strong feelings towards it either way. My favorite Mandy Moore movie is Saved. 100% <laughs> yes. I love Saved. Yeah. Heather, Hillary Faye. <laughs> yes. That movie just like, it was genius when it came out. I was obsessed with it immediately. Uh, bought it oh, yeah. on DVD immediately. Uh, I haven't watched it in a while. I should I should rewatch it, but she... It's been a minute, but it hasn't been that long. It's, it hasn't been a long minute, if that makes sense. Yes, yeah. It's one I put, come back to every once in a while, because it's just like, you know, yeah. it, hits, it, it scratches a lot of itches. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, there was like a, like a run of time where uh, Kieran Culkin... I feel yeah. Uh, was he in that I one? Th- or wait, maybe he wasn't. It was Macaulay. It was Macaulay. Macaulay was the one in the wheelchair. No, you know what? I'm mixing it up with um, Dangerous Lives of Alter Boys in my head too. Which that's another really oh. good movie. That is Karen Culkin. No, you're right. I haven't seen that one. Oh, it's good. It's um, it's got there's some. It's a little. It's gonna. There's some more stuff. It's a little more. <laughs> a little, little more deeper. dramatic. Um, yeah. But they came out around a similar time period. It, it, the Culkins, yeah. I should just say the Culkins in general, were just having like yeah. kind of this run of it. like movies that weren't necessarily like mainstream movies, but they were really good. Yeah. Like in the late 90s, early 2000s, I'd say. Uh, but also that was like the first time I had seen Macaulay Culkin in like forever. And yeah, because he did some stuff, but it wasn't necessarily stuff. I don't think I yeah. had seen. And then that movie came out, and he's really good in it. He yeah. is. Like, I think people write him off because he, like, you know, had the whole Hollywood treatment of, like, yeah. look how much of a mess he is. But, you know, well, he was talented at what he did. Oh, he's, no, he, he's incredibly talented. And actually, he uh, was it his journal or something? He released some sort of book of his, like, thoughts. I think it was his journal he released. And I never, I only read it at the bookstore, so I didn't read like all of it. Yeah. But it was kind of interesting. And it's always something I've like meant to revisit and have not. But like he was kind of one of those people like thrown into like some not great predicaments and situations. And then there's the whole Michael Jackson things and who knows like I mean I'm not going to try to like right figure anybody's like, life out. Uh, I'll listen to people but I'm not going to try to like yeah, I remember I was listening to something where they were talking about like, like the Culkin parents fighting on set of a movie that he was mm-hmm. on or something, mm-hmm. and like kind of like working with them, like kind of like, oh shit, this poor kid. Yeah, yeah, and like, I don't, I don't know. It, it's a very tricky yeah. space. I think it's a very tricky space yeah. to be within, and there's a there's a lot. Unfortunately, there is yeah. a lot of people who, when they are child to like teenage actors and they're not supported in the right way, it doesn't always, yeah. but it can. I'm not saying that that's like a like death sentence or anything right. like that, but like, I think there's just some like special precautions that need to be taken and aren't always like taken into account. 
or thought about. I think it's getting better, though. Well, I think there's more transparency as to when that doesn't happen and, like, the results of when that doesn't happen. Um, And there's also just, like, I think there's more of a focus on mental health in general now. Like, yeah, I'm really glad it's kind of cool to think about mental health. I think that's it's a very like refreshing viewpoint. And I think it's been, like, kind of in transition towards that for a while, which is good. But I think we're finally at a point where it's like everybody has mental health and you should take care of it as much as your like biological health. And some of that is like you you checking in with a non-biased person. Sometimes it includes medication, but it also includes like the way we treat others, particularly people like we're around or close to or family with. So yeah, I think there's more awareness and transparency. It doesn't mean everybody's. Yeah. Doing it. Yeah. But so, I mean, hopefully moving forward, there's going to be more awareness. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I like, I like, Sometimes I need to focus on the positive of what's happening around us. And I think that yeah. that's something positive. Oh, for sure. Because <laughs> there's a lot of negative, too. I think positive you can grab these days. You got to just focus on that a little bit more than everything else. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's refreshing. And mental health matters. Did you ever see the movie Party Monster? I didn't. And I was actually thinking about that. It's been on my like list. And then it's one of those ones I don't think about when I actually go to watch a yeah. movie and I've been aware of the fact that I should watch it, but I, I haven't cause I always forget. Some, like, I love how many times I said someone was talking about this. Like I haven't seen it either, but they like, I remember someone talking about a scene where like, I think it's Mc- him and Seth green are two Seth of the Green's actors in it. it. I think so. Oh, man, I used to have such a crush on Seth green when he was in can't hardly wait. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, I love that for you. It was very strange because not my type, but for some reason. Yeah. They were like teaching, like one of them was teaching the other how to work a room in the movie, apparently. Mm -hmm. And like they split up and went around the room like, have you seen my friend so-and-so? Have you seen my friend so-and-so? And And then they like meet up the other end of the room and then they go around the room again. I found them. Look, I found them. (laughs) And that's how you meet everyone in the room. Okay. Well, there there you go. Uh, So that is... uh, Party social tips from yeah. Party Monster via Alex. From yeah, who's never seen it. Us to you. Secondhand yes. information. And kind of third, really, because it's the movie who told the person who told you. Yeah, but I want to watch it. It's on, I know it's on Wow Presents Plus. Cause I think it was um like Randy and like Tom Fenton and Barbados. They're like the two people who run World of Wonder and they do a lot of gay content. Okay, okay. They're like they're like two of the minds behind Drag Race. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, no, yeah. that, I, Fenton Bailey and yeah, that totally I makes sense for that movie to be on Wow. Um, yeah. From what I know, I mean, I don't know a lot about it, but <laughs> yeah, from the very like, I know I James St. James is one of the characters portrayed in it, and he was like a famous club kid from New York in the back yeah. in the heyday. I was gonna say all I really know is this club kid culture scene yeah. from that era you know and which is fascinating yeah. to me club good culture is fascinating oh for sure for sure um yeah it's really hard to imagine that being like 
life because we're so kind of like removed from that at this point. And like, yeah, I know it like developed into, I mean, like there's always been like versions of it, you know, throughout the time, but I feel yeah. like, Oh yeah. Now I don't know that they're like super, it's like, I feel like it's getting more. Uh, it's, I think it's all moving online. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I guess dissipated, watered down. There's not like a physical location for it anymore. Yeah. People are still doing it. It's just not in a physical location, yeah. which is kind of a bummer, but it's also kind of makes it more accessible. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it's just it's it's changing. It's kind of like gay bars too. Like how there's sometimes less physical locations because a lot of it's online now. Mm-hmm. You know, you meet people online. Which is such an unfortunate thing, in my opinion. But I don't love it personally. I have nothing against people who find success in in that way, but I have not, and thus, um, yeah. I don't love it. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I hate like all the dating websites and apps. They're just they're trash. I try every once in a while, and then like immediately regret it within a couple days, and I'm just like, yeah, because even if. You know, if there's somebody to talk to you for a second, then I'm like, mm, I have to talk to you. And mm, I don't know. Yeah. I like interacting with people in real life and not necessarily. You can get such a better read on someone. Basically, unless I already know you, I don't want to interact with you like electronically because I don't feel like it's like a genuine interaction. I feel like. Right. Unless you already know them, and then like you kind of like know what they mean, and like you can hear their tone, you know what I mean? Like it just right. There's more of a connection. You, there is a lot lost over text. Yeah, yeah. This is a terrible transition, but speaking of a lot lost, I have a correction from last week. Ooh, correction corner. Yes. And this is a correction uh, for me, and this this is all about the the grenadine topic when you brought yes. up that it was pomegranate and i had yes. thought it was apricot pits i figured out why i wasn't told that at bartending school <laughs> but i love admitting when i'm super wrong so i was thinking about apricot pits and cherry pits are actually toxic because they okay. have um cyanide like traces of cyanide and like apple seeds i think a lot of seeds in general but yeah. yeah. And I was also though, weirdly enough, thinking of a different liqueur called uh creme de noya, okay. which is an almond flavored cream liquor, and it's made from apricot kernels and cherry pits, which is weird because there is cyanide. But both of those have an huh. almond-like flavor to them. And historically they would contain trace amounts of hydrogen cyanide, aka poison. But yeah. the chemical was not normally present in any dangerous intensity. So bottles of yeah. 19th century Noya left for, were left for decades in cellars. But they would sometimes have the cyanide float to the top. With oh, no. lethal results to the first person of the first glass. Like the first glass. The first pour. Yeah, the oh, first God. pour was lethal then. But in 2013, Tempest Fugit, or Tempest Fugit Spirits recreated the 19th century style creme de Noya distilling both apricot and cherry pits amongst other botanicals and they colored it with some like red crap as was done in the past and yeah. but they removed the cyanide good call so if you drink it now there's no cyanide love that but only 2013 that is like not that long ago isn't that like just nuts to think about yeah that's like that is crazy mm-hmm. and it's like the main drink it's not a drink that people drink now, but like I think it was like in the fifties or something. There was like one of those popular martinis called a pink squirrel, which features creme de noya. One sec. Oh yeah, spider. 
No, a bug. Oh, you need a spider. Do you want my spider? Um, sure. <laughs> I'll take your spider. Like, there's just, like, I look down and all of a sudden there's a fucking bug out of my mic. And I'm like, no, ma'am. I'm, I'm going to call him Frank. So, Frank, if you could just, like, go to Alex's um, and help him out, that'd be cool. Can you send spiders through the Wi-Fi? I'll try. Okay. But don't, but Frank, don't crawl my computer. That actually sounds like a bad idea. Yeah. If you could just wirelessly do it. That could ruin a lot of things. Yeah. Anyway, sorry about that. Oh, no, that's okay. Um, two, so in 2012, essentially, like, if you went to a bar and ordered this old-timey, like, 50s drink called a pink squirrel, you could uh, die if it was the first. Yeah. But it looks like you're sipping on something fun over there. No grenadine, oh, yeah. but... And no... Uh, it's yellow. No creme de noya. No cyanide. No cyanide. Uh, no, this is... Well, this is some orange juice I stole from my roommate. And then I did put a little bit of white rum in there and some LaCroix on top and a tiny, tiny bit of Cointreau. Ooh. Yeah. Kind of tropical nut. I didn't have... I would have done this with pineapple juice had I had it, but... Yeah. I wanted something kind of that would still be like... We, this is, you know, Sunday midday and I wanted something like yeah, it's like nice out. Yes, it is. Yeah. So and I thought, why why not? I deserve it today. Right. I, yeah. I have a blue beverage. Ooh. But it's just Gatorade. Ooh. I do love it. It's there. just the light blue Gatorade. I do like yeah. the light blue. I also like the 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 whitish one or whatever. The icy looking one. Oh, I don't know if I've had that one. It's like cherry frost or something like that. Yeah. Ooh, mm-hmm. I, that sounds delicious. Yeah. Um. Unfortunately, my boyfriend was feeling under the weather, so I went and got him some Gatorade, and it was buy one get one. So I was like, "Well, I'm going to get one for me too." I mean, always get yourself a Gatorade. Fun fact: I never had Gatorade ever until it was like three years ago. Hangovers? <laughs> no, like three years ago. Really? I just didn't know. I had had. I will say, I had had like Propel for some reason, but even that was not. Okay. I didn't know for a very long time, but yeah, yeah. Like a few years ago, somebody was like, I was going to something and somebody like pre-bought a bunch of Gatorade and they were like, this is for tomorrow. And I was like, why? They were like, hangovers? They're, yeah. Have you ever had like Pedialyte or anything for hangovers before or no? Oh, I've never had Pedialyte, no. I haven't had it either. I was telling you before we started recording, but like CVS is making like super Gatorade now. That's just like I'm happy for them. Full of electrolytes. <laughs> um, yeah. There's a very convincing bar graph, so I bought one of those and gave it to him too. Every so time. hopefully, bar graph does it every time. Uh, yeah, uh, bar graph. I'm sold. Pie charts usually could sell me too. It might take a little more convincing with a pie chart. Speaking of selling something. Yes. I think we have to take a very short break for a little commercial. Yes. Hey, folks, guess what? The Detroit Women of Comedy Fest is back, baby. We're going to be streaming across Planet Ants channels on June 4th and June 5th. That's their Facebook, YouTube, Twitch. You get it. There's going to be so much funny stuff. We're talking sketch, stand-up, podcasts, live stream, workshops, special guests. Head over to DetroitWomenOfComedy.com to find out how you can join the fun. Yeah. And we're back. Yes, and it, what a what a commercial that was, though. Yes. Oh, 
I hope you are convinced. Yes. June 4th and 5th. It'll be good. Do it. Yeah. We need to, like, I do want us to have an offer code at some point, though. You mm-hmm. know, like, won't we need a sponsor mm-hmm. who's like, use offer code strange to get 10% off. Like, we need to get a tushy. I like, I bought a tushy recently. Oh, I want one so bad. I've heard very good things. Yeah. So I'm going to reach out to Toshi and be like, hey, Please I bought do. one. Um, you want to sponsor my sponsor my podcast? I could use the offer code. Yeah. I want one. There was there's one drag queen that just like just like tweets companies mm-hmm. like give me a promo code until they do. Yeah. So maybe I'll start doing that. I mean, it doesn't hurt. Shoot your shot. Yeah. See what's up. Exactly. Uh, would you like to hear a story? I would love to hear a story. Okay, good. Because it's part two and you've already heard half of it. <laughs> yes. I am going to give a quick refresher, though, because I know it's been a second for you. Yes. And if you are doing a back to back or, you know, whatever, listen, skip ahead like 30 seconds a minute. Like, just just keep checking in for a second. Yeah. Uh, so the year was 1985 in Detroit. The main players are the queen. I wrote Jan Canty, who's the book that I read for most yes. of this information. Um, and her husband, Al, didn't return home on July 13th, 1985. By 11 p.m., she got nervous. She started a search and made a lot of phone calls, went to his office, enlisted the help of friends, asked her parents to come in early from Arizona because they were due a few days later to help her. Al Canty, yeah. her husband, was a psychologist married to Jane Canty. His behavior had started to change drastically around the 10th year-ish of their marriage. Most notable... Notably, around that time, Jan had mono and had taken a trip out of state to heal. This is when uh, his mother gave him $500 to spend for his birthday. He solicited a sex worker named Don Spence. He would go on mm-hmm. to meet with Spence multiple times, eventually multiple times a week, and eventually meet her sponsor, John Lucky Fry, for the next 18 months or so. Or Eventually, the encounters weren't even physical, but often he would just tell them tales of a fake life he had developed for himself as Dr. Al Miller, yeah. medical doctor at Detroit Receiving. Uh, just skewing uh, his actual life a little bit. Just like shifted to the left a little bit. Yeah. And this would leave him to having a breakdown and being hospitalized for six weeks. It was later discovered around that time he was supposed to pay off John to leave Don. And he gave the pair thousands upon thousands of dollars over the 18 months, taking Don on spending sprees, buying them all sorts of things, cars, whatever, paying bills, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then he was going broke, but hadn't told Jan about it. And the money, f- or, and he was trying to stop the money flow going to John and, yeah. and Don. Um, and I actually found an extra article. He was actually a frequent talk show guest who had hypnotized witnesses in the fruitless search for missing Teamster union leader, Jimmy Hoffa. Oh, my God. And he also helped test the drug LSD for the CIA. Some fun facts. Yeah, that was like it wasn't in the book, but it was on a because that was previous to Jan. Yeah. Having met him. Yeah. 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 So Don Spines grew up Harper Woods just a few months shy of graduation. She followed her uh, boyfriend to the cast corridor at a party suit. Somebody suggested that he knew some guys who would pay for time with her. She overheard it, like the idea, and started soliciting. Eventually, she met John Lucky Fry, who would become her sponsor, and convinced her to leave Donnie and stay with him. John Lucky Fry, Don's sponsor and boyfriend, he had a long history of basically not being a great man. Very racist, very sexist, abusive, violent, go basically any lengths to get what he wanted for himself, and basically gave no fucks about it, how it affected others. 
Uh, he and Don would start seeing Dr. Mel on the regular, but after a year or so, Lucky became suspicious of Al and s- started to piece information together about his actual identity. Ooh. Then real quick, Frank McMaster, friend of John, John and Don's. It's very hard to say John and Don. John and Don. John and Don. John and Don had a friend named Frank uh, from Petoskey. And he visited Detroit from time to time. And John had actually talked to him about getting rid of Dr. Miller in the past and also about leaving Don. And Detective Gil Hill. We just met him at the end of... Last week's part of the story, he's a highly well-revered detective at the time. Formerly, he'd helped with the Atlanta child murders uh, that led to the conviction, actually, as well as appeared in Beverly Hills Cop 1. And he had admitted to Jan that they believed her husband was most likely dead, but they didn't have enough evidence gathered yet to prove it. And they were on the search for his body. Okay. Now we're going to rewind back to July 13th when he actually disappeared. Like I said, we're on 3 p.m. or so that day. Jan had called Al. What we didn't know yet is that Don, John Spence, had actually called Al at work to ask for more money that day as well. Uh By this time, they let him know that they knew all his secrets. So they know name, job, wife, home, all that stuff. So at 630, he locked his office and drove to pick up Don and Lucky in the corridor to drive them to their house. This is when Fry found an eviction notice hanging on the door of the Casper house while Al drove Don to purchase more drugs. When they returned, Fry was expecting more cash. You see, by this point, Al had given them anywhere between $150,000 to $358,000 in the past 84 weeks. Just a, you know, like what you loan a friend, mm-hmm. loan a stranger out the street. I don't have that money for myself. <laughs> right. That's a uh, lot of fucking money. It is. It is. And Al told him he was done because that is a lot of money. He couldn't give them another dime. And he started actually yelling at John. He then took one step forward and pushed John, who stumbled over a small stool in the corner. This is a very sparsely, like, you know, living room area. And Don backed away. Lucky grew angrier. And so he grabbed a Louisville slugger bat from behind the door. And he swung it at Al's right temple. Yikes. Yeah, this is. The, the, I and this is a forewarning. I, I gave a warning in part one, but this part's very brutal. Okay. And he and I tried to not make it too. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah, it just it is. He would end up hitting him three times in total and send Al's glasses across the room to shatter. The glasses are not all that shattered, though. Because yeah, I was about to say, if it was just his glasses, how lucky would he be? Yeah. Um, Al's body fell limp to the carpet. Dawn ran outside into the rain because, again, there was a really bad rainstorm on this particular day. Yeah. And Al's body started to convulse. And so Lucky delivered one final blow to the already fractured forehead while yelling for Al to get up. Yeah. He's get, like fucking his brain is causing convulsions. Like you've like you've knocked the wires loose. How is he about to get up, sir? If you see brain matter, they're not getting up. Right. Like, let's just let's just say that again. I tried not to make this too specific, yeah. but like like at this point, we're at four blows to the skull. Um, Fuck. From a, a man, a very violent and aggressive 
you know, yeah, with a bat too. Yeah, bats can yeah. cause some real fucking damage. Yeah, and there is a little bit of murkiness about all this, but as much as we can piece together, Dawn eventually came back into the house, and because she had ran out into the rainstorm, because it was probably a shocking moment, and she saw that the blood was starting to kind of like spread. So John yelled at her to go make some money. And while she was gone, he brought the body to the bathtub, raised the feet into the air, and he drained the body by. Uh, slicing the throat from ear to ear work yeah he went out to fry went out to of course fry he's yeah al's not doing anything now he's just hanging in the bathtub unfortunately so fry went out to find dawn at a coney island and ordered her to get in the car she had made a little bit of money but was kind of right traumatized also like raining and just like yeah not an opportune time no so they went and picked up more drugs while they figured out what to do next with the money she had just earned. I, <laughs> I know. We're having know. a problem. Get more drugs. Yep. We need to solve this. We need our thinking, thinking pills. Mind you, too, it, I think, I believe at this point, it had not been that long that they had gotten, since they had gotten out of a, a rehab center as well. Yeah. And like, I, drug addiction, it, it is a disease. Right. It is, I'm not, you know, trying to to downplay that or anything yeah but yeah yeah but this is also like a high stress moment so we we go to our crutches and the you know yeah. The yeah so he john needed a plan to get rid of the body and decided to dispose of it in pieces so after shooting up about three times he grabbed a large serrated ginsu knife he then discarded most of al's clothing and he stripped himself down he himself down to his underwear to avoid more stains and started to decapitate the body. He followed by removing the hands, but paused to steal Al's watch. Yikes. Yeah. Classy. Yeah. Yeah. And last he amputated the feet. He gathered some newspaper and green plastic lawn bags and then placed the pieces in a suitcase that he had actually once gifted to Dawn. He then put this in the fridge and he placed all the clothing, broken eyeglasses, and weapons into another bag. So, next steps around midnight, Fry told Don to get the suitcase out of the fridge and placed it in Al's car. So, he had driven, I think it was like a black Buick in that day. Oh, I thought it was, was he not sharing the car with his wife? Like no, the, not at okay. this point. That was like another trip not long before this. Gotcha. Okay. That was right after they had gotten, I believe, out of rehab. And he came over and like took him for a drug run. Yeah. I think they also went and got McDonald's or something. And like, yeah. he showed them that the book of all this stuff. Yeah. Cause he was still trying to like, I don't know. He was still trying to like lie to them about. Yeah. Finances or something. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just, she, it, it was, that was just the, the reason I told you that part. That was just part of like the shady behavior that he was. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So around midnight, Fry told John to get the suitcase out of the fridge. They placed it in Al's car. And they started to head northbound on 75 towards Emmett County to the home of Frank McMaster. He um, he had just like a little house up there, wood fire stove, all the stuff. Yeah. While heading north, Fry disposed of Al's torso in a dumpster off Buchanan near 35th and his arms behind uh, some sort of station near Springwells on the I-75 ramp. So not too far away. Yeah. Fry stopped one more time along the way to toss more body parts onto like a gross, just freeway ramp in Auburn Hills near Jocelyn Road. 
Then they continued north with the rest of their packages, and by dawn, they arrived at McMaster's cabin unannounced. Just chucking pieces left and right on the way. Yeah. I can't imagine a brain going there. Right. I don't understand how that becomes the I, I mean, I guess, like, you freak out and don't know what to do, maybe, and are trying to, like, I don't know. I right. Don't know. So Frank wasn't too happy to see them, though, because he knew it had to be something pretty bad yeah. for them to just you know, come show there. up out of the blue. Mm-hmm. So he saw the Buick. They were driving. A, he knew that wasn't their car. And John told him that it was on loan, but they needed to get rid of the trunk's contents. So Frank McMaster suggested a spot in the woods owned by U of M as a biological station kind of nearby. Uh-huh. And while creating the plan, John bragged to Frank about the contents of the trunk. But Frank thought he was lying because. Who brags? Who does that? Yeah. So they headed to Douglas Lake Road near South Fishtail Bay. And in the hot sun, because this is July. Yeah. In Michigan, which is very humid and gross. Yeah. The worst. uh, Frank dug a shallow hole and John threw the heavy suitcase in, adding a by Al. Yikes. A half hour later, they returned to the cabin to burn the contents of Al's wallet in a wooden stove. And what did they do next? A beer run, of course. They got thirsty from all that work. Mm-hmm. By late Sunday, July 14th, the two men were rewarding them damn selves. <laughs> I was probably real pissed. Um, oh, yeah. Writing this. And they cleaned themselves up and headed to um, Mackinac Island to stroll the boardwalks. A lovely stroll after murder. Mm-hmm. The next morning, they purchased the latest Detroit news and saw there was a search warrant story on page one. Fry blew it off as NBD, though, because he was a cocky dipshit. I was real pissed when I was Oh, this. yeah. So later that week, Don and Fry returned, not to, like a couple days, back to Detroit with McMaster, following them in his own vehicle. They still were planning to flee to California at this point, but they needed to get rid of Al's car first. So a friend tipped Fry off that the police cruisers were circling the area near their home. So this actually did start to freak Fry off out a bit. Uh-huh. So instead of selling the car, they moved them to plan B uh, to find a car thief. So a man they knew named Gary Neal came to mind, but Gary knew what was going on and basically said he can do that without a title and asked where Al was. Stephen Fry's response Quote, in five different states, Mon. Oh, God. Because he liked to do, like, some stupid uh, Caribbean accent or Caribbean accent. What a weird. Yeah, okay. I don't know. And Gary basically suggested they torch the car instead. So around 11 p.m., the plan was to was put to action. Frank followed John and Gary into an industrial area with basically no people around on federal east of Livernois at an abandoned warehouse. One of them went to a local gas station, purchased some gasoline, set it ablaze. Yeah. During all of this, Frank asked John if Don had really been outside for the whole ordeal. John replied, quote, well, what the fuck you want me to say that she was packaging when I was cutting. Okay. So it happened that way, but don't tell Don I told you she don't want nobody to know she was there. Yeah. It's just it's it's very interesting because like these stories don't yeah. always line up. So meanwhile in Southeast, as detectives saw someone that they thought would know some information uh-huh. 
and would tell if they had it. So the detective asked the man if he knew where Dawn was, and the informant told him that she was hanging out with John, somebody who was a, quote, crazy one, which is an understatement, Yeah, and that Dawn had a trick named Doc. So the pieces were kind of coming together from the detective's angle. Yeah. And this set things in motion to put the Casper house under surveillance. Then the snitch went on to tell them that they were trying to unload Doc's car near Livernoy. Not too long after this, a surveyor of the central south side called police to report a scorched car. Inspector Gil Hill immediately put the pieces together and knew Fry was trying to get rid of evidence. Yeah. So now it's Wednesday, July 17th. The detectives had a plan and rounded up some people for questioning. By day five, they had enough informants to get a signed search warrant to enter the Casper home. And Bernard Brantley and Marlis Landeros, who was the first black woman detective on the Detroit police force. Work. Also, I'm just going to say Jan loved her. We love her. We stand. There's I, I would I want to actually know more about her even yeah. than the book goes in. She just seems really cool. And they were assigned the case, so it didn't take long to get a ton of evidence within the house. These these two dummies, they thought they had like cleaned the house because they cut some carpet and stuff. So there's just like carpet holes? That's not yeah. suspicious. Which I'm not going to lie, my parents did do that when the cat peed on the carpet in high school because they wanted new carpeting anyway. But it wasn't the best also, plan for that, and it's not the best plan for this. Right, and it also wasn't, let me hide this murder evidence by cutting holes. Like, this will make it yeah. less suspicious. Yeah, and basically, so the evidence they found in the house, there was a ton of missing carpet. There was still brain matter on the ceiling. There was two bloodstained towels, and the eviction notice, a clip of Al's hair. Um, unfortunately, with a little scalp still attached, Ooh. which I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry I said that out loud. But yeah. uh, and then a technician came to investigate and quickly found a blood trail that led downstairs to a cardboard box for plastic leaf bags, which was encircled by more blood. A concrete laundry tub also displayed more blood in it in, in the grooves. And in the kitchen, inspectors found an empty bank envelope, stethoscope and a book entitled Psychology of Industrial Conflict. The hallway revealed more waist-high blood streaks, as well as a folded scrap of paper with the name and contact information for Al. Never trust a straight man to clean, because you know he's not going to do great. No. And upon talking uh, to the neighbors, they all confirmed that Doc was a well-known visitor to the house and had been seen driving a new black Buick on Saturday. Furthermore, all the questioning had also led to information that Fry had bragged about wanting to off the doctor to several acquaintances. And even worse, some had seen Fry with the Black Buick on Tuesday mm, when they got back to town. It's all damning evidence. Yeah. So after destroying the car, Fry began to get nervous about anyone who knew his plans, one of which was his Aunt Dorothy, nicknamed Dot Wilson. He had told her about his plans to kill Al recklessly before it had happened, and he decided she had to go too. So he killed her? Well, she's a little smarter than that. And also he a little dumber than that because he called her on July 21st to tell her that he was coming basically to kill her. And she knew this and was pretty terrified. And so she called anyone and everyone with the exception of 911. But her neighbor, Ray Brewer, was a 30-year veteran detective and he in turn called for backup and helped her out. And Brewer slipped into the darkness of the night, saw a large balding man with tattoos and a baseball bat heading towards Dorothy's porch with a young unarmed woman and asked for ID from this man. 
The request was ignored. Meanwhile, the backup had arrived in athletic shoes so they could like sneak on up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And one officer then pressed a 38 Smith and Wesson against the back of Fry's head around 1245 a.m. on Monday, July or Monday, nine days since the murder. Uh, And he was arrested along with Don. Good. Yeah. Well, basically, moments later, the two were arrested. Yeah. Uh, And both had outstanding warrants. Which is why even at this point they could be arrested because like the evidence was like getting gathered, but it wasn't to a point of having a warrant. Yeah. Uh, especially because I think it's hard to have a warrant without, bo- you know, the actual body. Yeah. In general. So, um, yeah, Fry had some for shoplifting, contempt of court, failure to appear in court, traffic citations, assault and battery. And Don had several for a solicitation. Yeah. So around noon the following day, homicide detective Marlis Landros, we love her, interviewed Dawn and found her completely expressionless, just like no emotion whatsoever. And I do want to mention a few things about Landros throughout all this. um, Like I said, Jan would have a lot of interactions with her and she was always very supportive of Jan and helpful and just. Yeah. Yeah. We love her. Stan. So meanwhile, McMaster had heard of the arrest and drove around trying to form some sort of plan. His final decision was to head to homicide and tell them everything before they could find him. So kind of like beat them to the punch, maybe not get in as much trouble. Yeah. Um, When interviewed later about why he'd helped, his response was quote, John and me had a past relationship. I had fear of the man. He's crazy. He's uh, a lunatic. Anybody that tried to back away from him or push him off to the side it's just something he do terrible things. He's just nuts. Yeah. De- so Detective Lanaris is one of the people who questioned him and she basically told him everything she already knew about him, which freaked yeah. him out because they did already know they were, yeah. you know, they'd done their research and he started to perspire to which she basically just told him he's a terrible liar saying, quote, you know how I know you're a liar, Frank. It's this vein here, Frank. It twitches when you lie. Eee, that's a good line. It is a good line. Sounds like in a movie and I love it. Right. So she then showed him picture photos of the Casper crime scene and read signed statements from witnesses. And she revealed that they had an informant who had contacted Homicide about an hour earlier that the body was up north near Petoskey. Then to top it all off, mm -hmm, she dropped a Polaroid of the torch car and asked if he recognized his work, as he had been one of the people helping torch that car. Yeah. She also informed him that the law enforcement was outside of his house with a bulldozer waiting for a warrant so they could bulldoze his house. And so Frank Frank wanted to save his house, and he told them that his neighbor had a key and agreed to tell them where to find evidence within the house because they had burned a bunch of stuff in that wooden stove. Yeah. In exchange for immunity from prosecution in writing. That's he would go on. Yeah. He would go on to give a six page statement of everything he knew, giving everything but motive because he didn't really know the motive. Right. Basically this led McMaster and some detectives on a flight up North to that U of M biological station around midnight. They got there with a cadaver dog and McMaster led them around basically in circles for about an hour and a half because he could not find the spot. Yeah. You put a body there, sir. Well, I mean, what do you expect him to do? Drop a pen? 
That's true. That's true. That's true. And he probably thought, but, I mean, I guess you think you're not going to get caught or something, I guess. Right. Which like how bold. Yeah. Especially like basically like you commit like anything yeah. in 2021. I feel like it's not, you know. Yeah. Um, so McMaster got married. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yes. Yeah, so this is 19, 1985. But uh, still, that's like they've got technology. That's true. That's you true. Put your ass in the mainframe. But McMaster started to get really nervous about it, too, because like, yeah, his ass is kind of on the line now. Yeah. But he finally found the spot and detectives dug about 18 inches down, hit something. Finally, they were able to extract the suitcase. They found feet, hands and finally the fractured head. Not even two feet. No. He no, used they didn't try very hard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all the evidence was delivered to Wayne County's medical examiner for inspection. And this was nine days after the disappearance, just yeah. to give kind of reference. By Monday, July 22nd, Spence and Fry had their first court appearances. This is like the pretrial or whatever. Yeah. They rose to hear the allegations against them. The court charged Fry with murder in the first degree and mutilation of a dead body. And Spence faced accessory to murder after the fact and mutilation of a dead body. Which, by the way, mutilation of a dead body is an old law in Michigan that was basically put on the books to deter grave robbing. Love it. It has its purposes. But for this case, it worked really well. Yeah. So, yeah. Great. Uh, following arraignment, Spens made several collect calls to her friend D. Remember D? Yes. Yeah, we liked her. She was like yeah, the good, the good, good friend. friend D. Yeah. So D basically, or she asked D to come visit her. So D did, and they hadn't seen each other in yeah. a, a minute here. But how did she treat D? Not well. Oh, she basically no. laughed at the events. Dee said she stopped, seemed very like flippant, essentially, that she was arrested for these things. Like, <laughs> so stupid. You know, like, just no, no remorse. So needless to say, Dee did not return for a second visit, despite Don asking her to. Yeah. Like, that's fucking crazy. Yep. So, unfortunately, at this time, too, it was time for Jan to identify some evidence. So, on Sunday, July 21st, she had to, she was actually handed the burn contents of the wood stove from Frank's house up north, and she recognized it all. One was, like, a comic strip she had given to Al that he had, like, laminated and, like, kept in his pocket. Oh. Yeah, and just things, yeah. And then they showed her, yeah, the Polaroid of the burn car. She identified it as his new car. And... She was advised she would need to visit the morgue to identify the body, but technically that was just the head. Oh, God. Yeah. So she, her parents were there at this point, too, though. They were helping her through all of, you know. This ordeal. Going, yeah. So they did go with her. They asked if they she wanted them to go in with her. She said no. But Detective Landeros did go in with her for that moment. Yeah. And they tried to lighten the load as much as she could. Yeah. They went to the medical examiner building and everything was going kind of crazy at this point. Like the press. Yeah. Like the the press was really kind of taking this and running with it. And they all knew she was going, you know, and they were like, oh, God, fucking vultures. So at the end of it, she actually had to be escorted out of a secret like back door. And she was led to a police car and told to lay down in the back of it to get her away without it being wild and crazy. Oh, God. Yeah. 
So again, her parents are with her throughout this. And they even were the ones who, who went and told Al's mother, Gladys, mm-hmm. to take the burden off of Jan. They made sure that Gladys had a friend with her when they told her, which I just think is very That's sweet, thoughtful and sweet. Yeah. yeah. And about a week after detainment, Inspector Hill questioned John Fry. So when he asked him what brought him back from Petoskey, he replied, quote, I had some business to take care of, Mon. Get out of here. (laughs) I just wrote, ew. Yeah. (laughs) So meanwhile, on another floor, Dawn was being questioned. She refused to give a statement and they brought her father in and she still hesitated. Detective Landeros basically read Frank McMaster's six page statement to Dawn. And showed her all the photos that they had collected from both the house and the the car. Yeah. By 6 p.m., Landeros had a types uh, statement from Dawn. And it sounds, her statement was a little rocky. Some of it, too, again, she did have some substance abuse problems. So, like, sometimes her recall might not have. Right. Yeah. But she did admit to seeing one swing of the bat, which is kind of. Yeah. An important thing. Yeah. To have seen. So later that evening, more evidence streamed in. There was the gas receipts from burning the car. Yeah. And everything was being compiled into a very strong case. So July 28th marks Al's funeral. At this point, Jan wasn't even really interested in having one. She does go on. And actually, I've listened to her on several podcasts. Mm -hmm. Over 300 people showed up. And she's like, I don't even know 200 people. Like, yeah. Who are you people? Please, please don't. Right. Yeah. And then by September 19th of 1985, he would be married to Elmwood. Okay. So Wednesday, July 31st, 9 a.m. starts the preliminary hearing, the technical preliminary hearing. Jan's father drove her and she was coached by Landros, who basically said, quote, it's a chance to take back control to face the defendants. You can do this. Which I just, I love that. Yeah. So this, and this, it, it worked. It empowered Jan to tell everything that she knew. Mm-hmm. The defense attorney, Nolan, tried to motion to stipulate that Jan, what Jan would say, which would make her not take the stand, essentially. Mm-hmm. And Jan refused this, though. And so did the judge, which uh, whose name is Judge Sapola. OK. This would be the first time Jan would ever even see Spence and Fry other than um, like one mugshot. Yeah. And she took the stand, told the court everything she knew, as well as confirmed the idea of all the evidence. And further testimonies that uh, during that trial were made by Frank McMaster, uh, one of Fry's former girlfriends who had been abused by him, the medical examiner and Detective Landross. Mm-hmm. At the end, of def- the defendants both replied not guilty. Oh, God. So some are faded and it turned to autumn and you. Jen was going through some stuff like it was just like everything was like, of course. Like, all three of her Siamese cats grew ill and would all pass. Oh, God. Um, yeah. In a very short amount of time, too. Like and a plague upon her house, almost. Well, speaking of that, she basically had to sort through everything, the office, the house, etc. And to make matters worse, she discovered two money orders for $250 with her Ford's signature on them. Oh, God. So Al was doing that, too. Yeah. And he had paid rent on some place using her signature. So this was for the Casper house. Oh my God. By September, she would receive notices of unpaid taxes uh, from 1984 overdue answering service charges. Cause you had to pay for an answering service in those days. Yeah. And 
unpaid office rent totaling about $13,483. Meanwhile, the social security she would receive from Al's passing was a whole whopping $112. Ooh. So she was still paying for his fuckery. Yeah, that is bullshit. And also, mind you, they had a really nice, like, Tudor-style house, too, which yeah. I'm sure the mortgage was not super cheap, especially yeah. for one Income. person. Yeah. Uh, and she, was, she hadn't officially started her practice at this point, either. Yeah. She was about to. Yeah. Like, she had clients, but not, you know, she yeah. Had, yeah, built it up. Later that month, she received from an anniversary card from her mother-in-law with $25 check inside. So Gladys had sent her $25 for... What a fucking bitch. Yeah. So Jan grabbed a red marker and wrote, quote, I will not celebrate a wedding to a whoremonger, which like that's a little aggressive, but also she started it. So and we're going to put herself in like some 1985 lenses too. it. It doesn't make it like a great statement, but like, no. Yeah. It's just kind of like, yeah, but I get like if someone's deliberately going out of the way to make it shitty for you. Yeah. I get lashing out like that. Yeah. Doesn't make it right or good, but I understand completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is really the last time they had some interaction via some lawyers and some like basically messed up stuff. Uh, Gladys, basically, Jan could have taken half of Gladys's house because of some shitty paperwork, but and they had to change that. But yeah. that's the only reason they interacted via lawyers in the future. So um, on top of this, her alarm would go off the house alarm. And she would also get informed that for the next seven years, she had to get tested for HIV due to Al's promiscuity. Mm-hmm. Because also, I didn't write this down, but also it was discovered this was not the first time he had solicited. Yeah. Or he had, you know, found a, a, a sex worker. And yeah. Yeah. She didn't really know what to do. So she put her house up for sale at a bargain, but got no inquiries because it got everybody new. And there is a clause in Michigan for it's called, but like, if anybody who lived in the house previously has been brutally murdered, does not matter if it is on site. You have to disclose that information. That's such a weird rule. Yeah. Uh, while locked up, Spence would go on to write love letters to Fry, which I'm like, girl. Really? Yeah, please don't. Please don't. Like, has he not done you dirty enough? I know. But Fry had other plans, and by September, he had paid a guard $1,000 to smuggle in a pistol by collaborating with other inmates. Young also held for homicide. He also got two saw blades and bullied a correction officer official into swapping clothes. He got around on the catwalk and held off guards for about four hours before surrendering. So now the charge of attempted escape was added to his charges. Uh-huh. By October 1st, Spence had an evidentiary hearing to recant her former confessions, claiming it was forced under a false pretense that she could go home. So she was like, I didn't mean any of that. Oh, God. But the judge didn't buy it, luckily, and the motion was denied. By December 2nd, there was two separate concurrent trials. Fry elected a jury and Dawn took a bench trial. Same judge for both, that Judge Sapola, who had presided over these the whole time. In Fry's trial, the jury selection was quite interesting. Nolan, the defense attorney, decided that women jurists would be unsympathetic uh, to the deceased because of his infidelity. So basically, they were like, let's get all women on this jury because they won't like Al. Yeah, okay. I mean... They won't like Fry either. Right. 
Uh, so during the fry, the trial, it was alleged that Fry knew about unrelated homicides all over the state. Nolan did try to show that he had killed out of rage for love of Dawn. Yeah, okay. But after hearing testimonies from Frank McMaster, Dorothy Willen, Fry's aunt, the one he had yeah. gone to kill, uh, Detroit officers, detectives, medical examiner, the jury deliberation took less than three hours. He was found guilty of murder one, and on December 19th, Fry's sentence would be revealed. Jan would ask for men- maximum sentencing for him. Before the actual sentencing, he stated that he had regret for Dr. Canty and his family, but his main one was for Don. He was then sentenced to natural life with no chance of parole and given a see you in January by the judge for his next hearing about his e- attempted escape. <laughs> Which I think, yeah. Yeah. Mwah. Just, yeah, of course. Chef's kisses. Don's hearing was December 12th, and Robert Zylokowski was defense counsel on hers. He tried to use the defense that she was under duress from Fry and did not participate of her free will. A similar crew of witnesses took the stand at hers. In the end, the judge would state on December 17th that, quote, Miss Spence is highly dependent who found a safe haven in Fry. I believe ultimately Miss Spence acted out of motives other than fear of death or suffering grievous bodily harm. He goes on to say she was found not guilty in count two and guilty in count three is accessory after the fact. Okay. Yeah. So one yes, one no. Okay. And which is, I mean, it is fair. She did not commit the act. Yeah. Um, she was definitely a large accessory after the fact, though, as she let yeah. all of that happen and went along for the ride. Oh, honey, she was Claire's. All the accessories. <laughs> yes. All the tacky accessories. Yeah. Her sentencing would happen a couple weeks later. Jan requested for Dawn to actually receive inpatient drug treatment and a shorter prison sentence with vocational training and volunteer services. As Jan states in her book, she says, quote, I did not want taxpayers paying for the care of both defendants for 20 or more years. We spend more in the criminal justice system than our own education system, which seemed grim in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah, I and I and I like that she. Prison is a very fucked up system, a very interesting system, because there are there are some cases where, yes, there are a few individuals in the world who really probably might not be re- rehabilitated. Yeah. And just kind of need more of a constant eye. But a lot of people can be rehabilitated in yeah. the right circumstances and situation. And I like that Jan saw that and was like, let's get this girl some education. Let's right. get her some drug treatment. Like, Get her on the straight and narrow. This is, yeah. She, she needs some support. Yeah. Uh, Judge Sapla also found Dawn redeemable. So for her final statement, Dawn apologized for to Canty's family for the pain she'd caused them. But she claimed she was a victim and would like another chance. She as well. She was given three years probation and 10 months in Wayne County Jail. There was a lot of criticism, though, from the public for this, because, again, this was kind of a media sensation. Yeah. And by March 19th, 1986, she would have served her time as well as spent time in rehab. And by the age of 21, she regained her freedom. Okay. Yeah. I forgot how young young she was and all this. Oh, yeah. She was really young. Really young. Yeah. Uh, And she she did not serve her full time in prison. Like, most of it was more rehab. Yeah. Uh, In the winter of 85 and 86, Jan was struggling to pay the bills on their large property, turning down the heat, uh, and papers kept accumulating from the messes she had to clean up. Yeah. When all seemed lost, she did receive an insurance settlement 
for the car, $8,900.04. And she was actually offered a job around this time, which sounded like a good job. It was basically her mentor from her fellowship was moving to Florida or retiring in Florida. Uh But Jan declined it because she needed to get the fuck out of Detroit. Yeah. Understandably so. Yeah. Uh, And then the most amazing thing happened. She had interested buyers for her home. She sold it. She was able to move into a kind of like in between, like more modest apartment to figure out her next big move. Yeah. Which is great. Like just getting out of that house. Yeah. So literally, especially in Detroit, Jan could not escape it anywhere. Yeah. And there was more information about her late husband that she didn't know coming out. Like I said, like, yeah, Dawn wasn't the first escort, and, you know, things like that. His fingerprints showed up on a solicitation conviction from February 28th, 1983. Yeah. Uh, in 1983, another sex worker had been offered an apartment by Al. Yeah. Uh, Carla McGuire, former student of his from Henry Ford Community College, came forward. Like all these things. Yeah. Yeah. All the stuff that she had. Yeah. That must have been very hard. Yeah. And so now. We're we're past the actual crime. We're past the trial. So I'm going to give you kind of just an update on the key places and players from the story. Not necessarily a where are they now, but where they go after yeah. 1985. Uh, so just wanted to make one small note about the cast corridor because it came up quite a bit. Yeah. It's a very different area today. Now oh, it's for where, sure. I mean, even at that time, it was where Masonic Temple is, but it still was very different. Yeah. Uh, cast Tech. Yeah. Uh, callback, I wrote. Little Caesars Arena, Avalon Breads, Third Man Records is technically in that that area. A lot of other retail stores, restaurants. And then I also threw in Temple Bar because of the show Detroiters. Everybody should watch it. It's a fun show. Yeah. Uh, it has a couple seasons. A lot of historic and non-historic places have both stayed and gone in the area. As mentioned, the Temple Hotel is gone. So is yeah. the Gold Dollar, which is actually a venue where the White Stripes played their first show. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. But it's also where a lot of people mingle for things like Dallying the Alley Arts Festival or Nain Rouge when people can mingle. Yeah. Marlis Landros, fantastic detective. Yes. What a queen. Yes. She would later go on to run for public office, but she didn't win despite being like very highly respected. She would go on to live with her daughter until her passing in 2019. Oh. I found some stuff like memorializing her and just, it was just all very nice. And that's good. Yeah. So Jan actually came back to Detroit after a very long stint of being away to attend Landeros's funeral. And, you know, she's always yeah. just had a spot in her heart for her. Yeah. Uh, Gil Hill retired in 1989 at the rank of commander. He would go on to reprise his role in Beverly Hills Cop 2 and 3. He uh. would get offered other roles, but turn them down. Instead, he ran for mayor, but lost to Kilpatrick in 2001. He passed away in 2016. And that same year, though, there was an allegation made that a hitman had been offered money to kill an FBI informant who knew about corruption within the DPD. But this information was never fully corroborated. So we're not going to yeah. say anything one way or another. Frank McMaster, whereabouts unknown. Interesting. You just slid that away. Yeah. John Lucky Fry, he would uh, file appeals to the Michigan court for a new trial, but constantly be denied. After three attempts there, he would put in one final petition to the U.S. Court of Appeals, which was denied. And he eventually transferred from the Marquette prison to Jackson State Prison. He did give like one interview if anybody ever wants to watch it. I don't. Yeah, I'm that, fine. Yeah, like 
I don't need to hear his side of the story. I was going to say interviews from the actual like people generally are not my favorite. There's a few times I watched, like I did watch that Gacy thing on um, Peacock. Is it Peacock? Yeah. yeah. The Gacy special on Peacock right now. And just kind of, I don't know. It, yeah, no. It doesn't always sit well with me. Yeah. But John passed away in 1995 of hepatitis C. Okay. Don Spence is alive and well. She earned a degree in accounting, started a career at an international automotive supplier. I'm just going to leave it at that. too. Well, and I. That's it. Yeah. I, I would urge anybody like, especially when you're learning about a case this old. Yeah. That did close, I guess yeah. we'll say like, don't, there's no need to disturb. Right. Anybody, you know, so um, just to know that she, she did take the education and she did take that and kind Good. of change things. Uh, and we will get to Jan, of course, but obviously I'm going to end with her. So yeah. a few things I want to leave the story with is trauma. The book does go into trauma a lot. Jan yeah. being a psychologist, she offers some great words towards the end. In reference to the situation, she goes on to say, quote, John, Don and Al robbed me on many things, but not my ability to interpret what happened in a way that was meaningful. Nice. Yeah. Eventually, Jan would leave the state for a job at a college in a small Midwestern town somewhere, many miles from here. She would teach at the undergraduate, eventually the graduate level. She would take in stray dogs and be there for them on their last leg of life. She would also, and this is so beautiful, she would go on to adopt two biological sisters locked in the foster care system. The foster care system chose this specific pairing because their mother had been murdered. Uh, and yeah. while Jan wouldn't really go on to tell them about her own experiences until much later, yeah. she had like the the personal she, experience. It was a very good pick. Yeah. 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 And she would actually use her experience to help others, too, outside of her family and travel around the world. Mm-hmm. She returned to an old hobby of photography. And years later, she would meet and marry a man who she refers to as her equal. Oh, so her husband also adopted the two daughters. Oh. And when the children were older, the couple moved west to a large property, dense with trees, and she finally felt safe. Mm-hmm. Eventually, they would become grandparents. Oh. And she does have a diagnosis of cancer right now, but she took her time to write and share her story. She's also been on so many podcasts. I'll get to yeah. those in a few. But, you know, 30 years after the fact... It's ne- it's never too late to move on to like different forms of healing, and yeah. I hope that this was like a cathartic thing for her to oh, do. For sure. And she says also, "quote The bottom line is trauma is not ruinous. There is hope." Oh. So my takeaway is that communication is key. Mental health is important. Jan Canty is a badass. The real reason I told the story is not. It wasn't for like the salacious details. I mean, those were like crazy and insane and I can't wrap my brain around it, but more so because I read this book and just Jan, Yeah, you know, and I like that this book in particular was like through her lens, but also there was definitely like research and information, things like that weren't just her experience, but like the background to it. So I thought that was really good. And she also goes on to say, quote, 
Not only did particular beliefs aid men, but actions did too. I got busy. I wrote a manuscript for children's Christmas books and traveled to Kenya twice to join others in constructing a school. I joined a gym. Ten years ago, I completed my fourth triathlon. I volunteered with Raptors and with the Red Cross during Katrina. Sleep became a higher priority. I accompanied my friend Rita to rural India to assist in a medical clinic. Several years ago, I began an autobiographical book collection of people who survive adversity. And she also has a podcast. Uh, It is called Domino Effect of Murder. And she talks to other survivors of murder. Again, if you're interested in learning more, there is a book called Masquerade by Lowell Caulfield, which I believe a lot of information from her book. That's the guy who interviewed her a million years ago. Yeah. And then there's a million podcasts. I will try to post. There's like the top dozen podcasts who have interviewed Jan Canty lists and stuff out there. but. They're all a little different. Some of them are more focused on survivors or, you know, things like that. Yeah. uh, Just a very interesting woman. And I want to thank her for sharing her experiences and story in the way that she did. No, for sure. And like, thank you for sharing that story. That was great. It was really weird because I saw an excerpt of it in just like one book and it was like a one page thing. Uh, I'm not going to mention what book it was, but it was just like kind of a listicle book. Essentially, yeah, yeah. It was just a little inaccurate. And uh, so, but it made me seek this out because I was like, what? Yeah. And then I found, I, I actually debated between reading Masquerade or reading Jan's book, but I really wanted to read Jan's book. Yeah, no, it sounds like the better pick too. Just because like you get her experience as well and just like, like the, her lines on trauma and stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, what a, what a unique position, you know, yeah. I, first of all, I don't think like, and not it's up to, it's a personal choice if somebody wants to share their story or not, but a oh, lot of times sure. we don't hear from their survivors of those situations. Yeah. Uh, or those people like related to the situation. And she was brave enough to let us hear it. And share it and also share her expertise. Yeah. In in trauma, you know, too. So um yeah. And I do like that she took this really situation shitty situation. And I don't I don't ever want to say like necessarily turned it into something good, but she she took life by the balls, it sounds like. Yeah. After the fact. And I think that's amazing and wonderful yeah oh for sure yeah well again thank you for the story mm-hmm. yeah and that. i do want to just point out too oh, your that, sources. Oh. yeah i just have the one source it is called a life divided by jan canty yeah. if you want to find her too you can go to jan canty phd.com uh there's more information about her podcast and such on there too Nice. Okay. Now I'm done. <laughs> well, are you ready for a two truths and a lie to just uh, wrap things up here? Am I ever? Okay. So your two truths and a lie. I've been in such a deep, weird rabbit hole of video game history. Mm-hmm. And I decided to go with weird branded video games. Like, so the example, okay. the one that like led me down this path was Purina made a video game for the Atari 2600 called Chase the Chuck Wagon. Oh. 
So it was an Atari game that was only available by mailing in proofs of purchases of dog food. Oh. So I was just like, what other companies have tried weird video game things? So here they are. Yeah. Okay. Number one, Frank's Red Hot Flavor Blaster, a Space Invader style game where you control a bottle of Frank's that shoots hot sauce at the bland food to destroy them. Okay. Chex Mix Chex Quest is number two. Okay. A Doom style, like a Doom, like a first person shooter knockoff where you use a ray gun called a Zorcher to shoot these slime enemies called Flemoids. And Axe Body Spray's Mojo Master, a seduction game where you have to woo over a hundred virtual women that even had a multiplayer version called Playa vs. Player. Playa. I'm so disturbed right now. Yeah. I'm disturbed for some reasons. Like the Chex Mix one has nothing to do with Chex Mix. Oh, not at all. And then the Axe one is just horrible. Um, this one's hard. They're all stupid. I know. Um, the Franks one would make the most sense as a game, so I'm going to go with that one being the lie. That is correct. That is the lie. Yes! I did it on the first try. <laughs> yes. So the Chex Mix one was released in 96 via cereal boxes. So you just got a CD in your cereal box. Oh. Um. So you had your, like, ray gun, and you also had a spork for melee combat. They couldn't have, like, a flavor blaster or something. You know what I mean? Like, something to do with, like, Chex Mix. Right! But, like, also the gun wouldn't kill the flamoids. It would just teleport them elsewhere because Chex Mix didn't want to promote murder. Better. Yeah. (laughs) A murder most foul. And crunchy. Um, But it oddly has, like, a cult following. And, like, there's even an HD remake of this Chex Mix game in the works. I'm terrified already. Right? Yeah, the X Body Spray one, Mojo Master, was re- true. It released in 2005 via Wild Tangent, which is a computer mm-hmm. surface where you could like download the games for free or cheap. Okay. And I, there was a quote from an IGN article about it. Countless hours have been logged observing social encounters, attempting to better understand the female species and determining what makes a playa a playa. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Trash. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, just a couple honorable mentions before we're done here. Yeah. Uh Burger King made three games, but the most terrifying was called Sneak King. So you played I'm give that a nope. It's a hard nope for me. Because you know like the, what the Burger King mascot looks like. Kind of oh, creepy. He's terrifying. King. He's yeah. terrifying. You play as him sneaking nope. around. It's to sneak up on unsuspecting people to feed them whoppers. That's like, a, a, that's a, a nope, video game. Nope, nope, nope. In nope. 2006 for the Xbox. And I think it was like it's Xbox, maybe place. Yeah, I know. I'm like, who? <laughs> what sick fuck came up with this idea of sneaking around as the Burger King, hiding in bushes just to feed people whoppers? Nope, nope, nope. nope. Yeah. Taco Bell had a game called Taco Bell Tasty Temple. Or Tasty Temple Challenge, where you basically like we're going through like a Mayan like temple armed with hot sauce to kill snakes and scorpions, okay. and eating mm-hmm. chalupas regained your health. Um, the weirdest part as, of the, as it does in real life, right? Right. The weirdest part was is it was like released in like ninety nine or two thousand, but it was uh-huh. released for M- MS DOS, so like late eighties computer operating system. 
Yeah, which most people didn't even yeah, access. Like I, like, I wrote, I think X, like my Windows XP was out by now. Why are you releasing this for MS-DOS? How long did it take you to make this game? That's weird. Yeah. And the last one, Skittles made one called Darkened Sky. Sky with an E. Oh. Where you have to traverse five different environments to find the glowing Skittles to get magical power-ups to defeat, quote, the forces of darkness. And this was from 2008. Oh, wow. 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 Yeah. So just a bunch of, like, weird video games. No. Um, that the world needed none of those. Apparently the Chex Mix one people needed, though, because they're, they need another, they need an HD remake of this Chex Mix game. I'm just going to say on a scale of one to five nopes that it's a ten. all of those are a 10. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> all of them. Yep. Um. Except for the X one, which is in thousand. That's a thousand nopes. Yep. Yeah, just garbage. Yeah, there's been some real garbage video games along that style. Like there was like this weird like trivia game that also combined like spring break, like show us your tits kind of thing. Like, mm. but that one got like already on top of being cringy. It got pulled from shelves because one of the girls was seventeen. <gasps> no yeah. yeah people are so stupid i yeah. mean like it's it's just regardless of if they're 17 18 like it's stupid yeah. either way but like that's just like extra it was so like basically like they like filmed all this stuff to put in the game where they're just asking these girls questions mm-hmm. like the trivia questions and it was like if you got they got it wrong they had to flash the camera or something and i'm like who's what awful straight man had this idea? I don't know. The 90s were such a bad time for spring break. Um, yeah. Because, like, God, I hate, like, so I used to watch, you know, far more MTV than I yeah, have yeah, yeah. In, in the past decade, even. Because uh, I don't watch people. But I remember spring break time was always my least favorite time of it's year. Just such trash. Because it was like a month of it like was sad trash too. Full blocks of trash, and I was just like, I, I don't care. I don't care. Right. This isn't fun. I don't care. Right. Yeah. But I mean, anyway. I was also really unpopular, but I mean. Uh, Tell me you didn't go to alcohol parties in high school without yes. telling me you didn't go to alcohol parties in high school. TikTok. I love that TikTok trend. I, I went to all the alcohol parties. I was really cool. It was a great time. I look back on it fun. Like mm-hmm. I, I love that one. I I love that guy. He yeah. he's really he funny. always has really good uh yeah responses to things. Well. I think that wraps us like a dum-dum, bringing it back to this big full circle. Oh, yeah. Uh, we are wrapped up like a dum-dum. A mystery dum-dum, because you're not sure what you're going to get. It's different every time. It is. It's a conglomeration of, they don't even know. Stuff, yeah. Things and stuff. Yes. Uh, if you want to find us on our social medias, you can find us at Detroit Strange on Instagram and Twitter, Detroit Strange on Facebook, and our email address, DetroitStrange at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And we'd love if you do the things podcast asks, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, we got the Patreon. We got um, the Threadless Shop. And, you know, hi. Yeah. 
We got high? <laughs> <laughs> and then we got high. <laughs> no, we get all the things. All the things. Please check them out. We'd love it. Yeah. And I think. Until next time. Stay strange. This has been a production of Planet Ant Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Our theme song was recorded by Sax and Violence. That's Wheel of Fortune. But like the video game Wheel of Fortune.